Welcome to Pediatric Meltdown, the podcast for busy pediatricians who want to better understand children's emotional health and behaviors and gain the skills and knowledge to help them thrive. I'm Leah Gugino, a primary care pediatrician. I see patients every day who struggle with depression, anxiety, and even suicidal thoughts. And I know you see these kids too. Pediatric Meltdown offers thoughtful conversations featuring experts from the field. Learn practical strategies from the best and become a savvier clinician. Please join me and welcome Dr. Zakia Alavi to the podcast today. She is a repeat guest and just has so much good information to share. Dr. Alavi is a child and adolescent psychiatrist and a diplomat of the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology. She obtained her medical education at Dow Medical University in Pakistan and completed her residency in psychiatry, followed by a fellowship in child psychiatry at Wayne State University in Michigan. She has worked in both clinical and academic settings and is the chief medical officer for Mid-State Health Network, a Medicaid-managed care organization. She is currently serving as an assistant professor in the Department of Pediatrics at Michigan State University. There, she has served as the PI for a HRSA grant that provides education and consultation to primary care providers in the remote Michigan Upper Peninsula. She is involved in developing telemedicine pilot, which will provide psychiatric and neurodevelopmental consultation to pediatricians in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. She has many peer-reviewed articles, and her primary interest is in psychopharmacology and polypharmacy both in children and in the geriatric population. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Alavi. Hi, Zakia. How are you? I am well, thank you, Leah. And um, how are you doing on this snowy, um, what, what day is it today? Everything runs together anymore. Thursday. Every day is Saturday, right? <laughs> Groundhog Day, yep. Right. I actually decided I was sick of wearing blue jeans, so I put on a dress and I actually have on shoes. <laughs> so gonna pretend that there's some routine. My mom said, where are you going? I said, to my closet to record. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working. So yeah, yeah. Zakia, I'm not sure when this is going to air, but I want our audience to know that this is your second recording with me. So listeners are going to get another opportunity to hear you talk about community mental health and some of our complex patients. But today, we're going to talk about the topic that won't go away, COVID-19. Oh, COVID-19, although I am super geeked because I live in Kalamazoo, Michigan, home of Pfizer, and we are so grateful that those trucks are rolling. I'm hoping yes. there's you know, a glimmer of hope on the horizon. I hope so too, certainly. So let's dig in and talk about COVID and what it's doing to our kids because Fortunately, the disease doesn't seem to be affecting them nearly the way it is adults, although there are kids that are definitely get sick with MISC and some of the other complications. Mm -hmm. But what seems to be ravaging them is some of the mental health and the social, social isolation and the school mess. So let's talk about that. Right now, we're nearing Christmas time. It's December 17th. And so by the time this airs, it may be after the holidays, but it's pertinent because now we're heading into, you know, the dark days of winter. So what do you think about how COVID is affecting our young kids? So we'll start with the, the littlest ones, under five. 
Yeah, I, you know, and I'm glad that you are um, breaking the the kids' um, ages down into these subsets because, as a pediatrician, you well know the experiences and and how the kids will express these experiences varies so much from year to year and certainly ages um, and ages um, stages of development. So yeah, five and young, you know, that's a that's a fun age. It's been a while since my kids were that young. Thank goodness for that. But you know, they are, if you think about it, the key word in terms of their lives at this point is home and safety. And you know, as pediatricians, you guys already know, you know, attachment is the name of the game at that age, right? And so th- that's a there's a good side to this mess for them. In a, in a way, because um, if as long as the home environment remains safe and their attachment, as well as the figures that they're attached to, remain safe and accessible and available, these younger kids can actually do really well. But then the not so good side is how might this change, this holiday season change or these winter months change because of COVID for these young people? Uh, believe it or not, but it's more along the lines of how is it going to change for their parents because of the attachment and, like I said, the home and the safety. So so the key word, again, is how is it going to change for kids younger than five? Well, how is it changing for their caregivers in their home, their primary support group? And if kids are having trouble because of this whole change in our lives how can parents tell something's up with these little kids? Because they're not saying, hey, mom, I'm depressed because I can't see my friends. Yeah, yeah. Um, no. Uh, the, so the, the thing with these um, this age group is it's kind of relatively easy, again, to tell because you begin to see regression. And because, because development, you know, if you think of zero to five, zero to six, is so rapid and so sort of you know, amazingly obvious, right? They learn skills. Um, regression is relatively easy to spot. Um, they won't, true, they won't come out and tell you I'm depressed, but they will act, if not depressed, they will act uh, at a younger age level than they normally do. You know, if, if you begin to see your child regressing, um, they're having accidents again. Maybe they were potty trained and now you're seeing some accidents. Maybe they were beginning to branch out and not be so clingy and, and go out and be okay with the grandparents or, you know, entertain themselves for 20 minutes while you're out in the kitchen. You may see that changing, you know, the clinginess can come back. A little bit older kids, as in like kindergarten, pre-kindergarten, first grade, those kids, can start to get more um, clingy, but also maybe a little bit more mean, you know, more fights you may see break out, you know, things that conflict resolution is a, is a, is a skill that hasn't completely developed, but they're starting to sort of, you know, flirt with the idea that not everything has to be World War III and mom does not have to intervene and that might start to go backwards. So yeah, regression on many levels, that would be my thought process to, when to I, watch out for. When I started doing this podcast, the name Pediatric Meltdown, I had in my head, you know, those kids that are just melting into a puddle on the floor and they're just yeah. losing it. 
So I'm wondering about tantrums, you know, is some of that, you know, irritability, defiance, uh, would you expect to see more of that? Absolutely. Yes, you can. And it's, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because meltdowns, that, that meltdown and melting down in a puddle, that is a really good visual. And it, you, you can see that across the board in this, in all age groups, actually with kids, maybe sometimes in their parents too, but yeah, definitely these younger kids, you know, I was talking to a, a parent of a patient um, last week, and she has two kids, um, ages six and four. And she said, you know, Doc, I feel like they're back to in their terrible twos again. And that, you know, yeah, yeah, it goes. Yeah, to, I, yeah. I remember when this whole thing started, you know, it was so new and we didn't know what it was. And I felt like I was, you know, checking the um, St. or um, Johns Hopkins data, like constantly, are we safe? Are we safe? And I remember one night just literally falling apart, sobbing, like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die alone. My husband's going to die. What am, you know, it, mm-hmm. it was a parent meltdown <laughs> for yes, sure. Absolutely. And yep. I felt a little like a crazy person. Like I was, I was losing it. Yep. Well, moving up the, the ladder in years, what about our elementary and those middle school kids? Does it look the same for them or is it, does it look different? So it can look the same to a point, right? That regression bit holds the meltdowns. You know, um, you can still see them. But now the kids now. So this is the age group that is the most affected because now we, we often think of the teenage years as being times when they are the most affected. And that is also true. But this age group is really developmentally speaking now branching out, going to a, a new world. Right. They're leaving the subculture of their home. They're making friends, they're beginning to trust teachers, other adults, and all of that has been taken away. So this is the age group that actually can be really anxious and they can they can say or do things that you can see their anxiety spiking. They can be irritable because remember, irritability is, is something that you see equally in anxiety as well as in depression, right? So this is the age, this is the, you know, again, you pediatricians will understand absolutely what I'm saying. You know, this is the latency age, right? And um, this is the age when you sublimate and most of the intense emotional stuff is not on the surface because you expect in a normally developing child, a de- decrease in meltdowns, a decrease in emotional outbursts, an increase in pro-social sort of well-thought-out activities, and all of that can begin to change. Again, they can regress, but they can also start to express fears. That so maybe you have a nine-year-old. I have a, actually a nephew that is um, nine and a half, and you know he was he went through a, a phase when he was a bit younger where he was afraid of the dark, right? And and wanted the lights left on and blah, blah, blah. And it, it was all done and over with. And the last few months, he's afraid of the dark again. I was talking to a patient the other day and, you know, her thing has been used to be when she was younger, bees and, um, you know, insects. And, it, and that's come back, except it's not so much the bees, it's more the viruses, right? Interesting. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I had a mom, it's funny you would say that. I didn't put that together, but she said, and her child was maybe 10 and had anxiety already. But she said, mm-hmm. I can't leave the room. And this kid is following me 
around the house. I literally have to close the bathroom door so she mm-hmm. won't follow me. Yeah. And so um, I guess, you know, of course, we'll move on to teenagers and see a little bit more. It, it almost sounds like those kids are, their ability to self-regulate is kind of going out the window. And and yeah. so their meltdown looks different. So let's talk about teens and what that looks like first. Sure. And then we can go back and talk about what can parents do to help. So what what about teens? This is now they've moved beyond the, their parents. They, you know, it looks like they don't need us anymore. They don't want us anymore. Right. So friends and that whole outside the home is so important. And now many are not able to go to school. They're not doing their extracurricular activities. So that social isolation, sleep seems to be a big mess. What, what are your thoughts about teenagers? Right. So this is the age group that um, can actually be, re- yes, they are, they are affected. But I can't believe I, I never thought I was going to say this, but, you know, social media has been the bane of our existence, right? But for once in the last several months, this ability to connect virtually on these different myriads of platforms has has actually saved quite a few of them, right? The issue is that it is actually more in terms of what was before COVID times, a distraction, something that they would do, and you would yell at them and you'd say, you know, you need to get off the screen, get off that phone, don't be on whatever. They're not on Facebook anymore. It's whatever new platform they have. But now, this is not the distract. This is their life now. And I've had parents come and and ask me, well, Doc, how do we manage this? Because if we ground them from their phone or the computer, what else are they going to do? Where else are they going to go? Yeah, now now I'm stuck with a crabby kid. That's not good. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. So that, I think, is is the big dilemma for kids, for, for teenagers, as well as their parents, where you know, they're now have been forced to live their entire lives. I mean, a whole year almost virtually. And so to them, you you can really see issues with their identity in terms of how they see themselves fitting in, fitting into their uh, peer group. What peer group is it going to be? Because right. it used to be they had a choice. They could choose to be online with whoever they would see in school or whatever, well, that choice is no more. A year is a long time. Yeah, it's huge. Right? It, it is so, so incredible here, that we may have just written off a year of our life. I've not written off because it looks well, but, different. But we have, right? I mean, We've we, lost it's, a year we, of we, normalcy anyway. We have. We have. It's really sad. And so here you can see the irritability, the meltdowns, the sleep, the sleep, the sleep. That, you know, again, is an issue across the board. I think it is for all ages of children. But this age group, believe it or not, it's more, it becomes not in, not only that they're not sleeping and they're crabby, it really can dysregulate their appetite, their weight, their moods, their capacity to learn. I, you know, my biggest concern with this age group as a child psychiatrist is that they will, they will forget their brains will forget the day night rhythm you know the circadian rhythm gets disrupted yeah they're and working they're working third shift now they are right and it's just that is my big worry with them that is what parents can expect to see and be on the lookout for be on the watch 
for, right? And I have an upcoming podcast with a Dr. Artinian, who's a sleep doctor. And just in our prep call, I was talking with him and he said, you know, medicine for sleep is like 10th in line. He said, it's all about behavior. And so we'll spend a whole podcast just talking about sleep hygiene and behaviors. But I would absolutely agree with you. I mean, they're up all night, they're sleeping all day. And the other thing I worry about where they're, sometimes they're connecting when they're playing um, electronic games, video games, because they're doing it with a community, but they're often people they don't really know except virtually. Mm -hmm. And then there's some kids that are just holed up, especially boys, they're holed up in the dark in their rooms. Mm -hmm. And, you know, their parents are like, you know, this has been going on for eight hours and I don't know what to do. Yes. And as though they, I, I don't mean intentionally abdicated, but they've lost the ability to to help create some kinds of limits on kids. And it's a tough one because when they take them away and, they, you know, the meltdowns in a teenager can be pretty, pretty dramatic and disruptive. So what do you do about that? Yeah, well, I think it's much easier like anything else. Um, to prevent than to fix it after the fact. Routines, again, you know, in some ways, teenagers, their meltdowns can look like those of five and um, younger, right? Yeah. And so think of that age group, right? And and what's the first thing you do? You go back to routines, you reestablish. And here's the kicker. I say to parents all the time, what is your routine like? Do you have one? And they'll say, well, no, not really. So, you know, you, you, you fix your own routine. You do, you know, whatever it is you can do to put some measure of um, control back in your relationship with the kid in terms of when do you wake up? When do you go to sleep? What do you do when you wake up? You know, are you going to be in PJs and your what is it called? The the big thing. I've seen a couple patients because sometimes we have to see them at home, you know, virtually, and they'd be wearing this long thing. What is it called? It's like a blanket, but with sleeves and a hoodie. Oh, a, a snuggie. A snuggie. And it's like 3 p.m. Do they ever take it off? They don't. And the problem then is learned behavior, associated um, learning. You, If you wear your snuggie and you, for the last 12, 15 years of your life, you do that when you're done working and you just kind of schlep around the home in your Snuggie. But now you're in your Snuggie all day trying to do schoolwork. It's not going to happen. It's like your brain doesn't have the signal like now it's the work day. Mm-hmm. I, I The other day, honest to God, I didn't get dressed till four and I just, I didn't feel good. My head hurt. I, it was like one of those days when you sleep in way late and you mm-hmm. just, I just couldn't get my mojo. And finally, I'm like, I'm going to get dressed. It's four in the afternoon. I could just bag it, but I, I just got to do something different. And, and right. I felt better. And then today I'm like, okay, I'm at work now because I've got my shoes on. Uh-huh. So talk a little bit about those different age groups and routines. What might that look like for our little kids, our middle school and elementary kids, and then our teens? Okay. So for the little kids, five and younger, you know, routine is is the key, as you well know, but routine is is more uh, concrete for them. Sleep time, wake up time, meal times, they will follow you and follow your routine. So I know I've said it before, I'll say it again. Parents of younger kids, look and see if you have a routine down. If you don't, get one. 
And then help your kids follow that routine, set it up for them. You know, nap times need to be still in place. If you, you know, because you everybody slept until 11 a.m. and your nap time now is going to be at 4 p.m., well, then they're not going to be ready for bed, are, are they, at their regular time? So routines, sleep, physical activity, that's the other thing. You know, we are in Michigan, and I was talking to a friend of mine who lives in Texas the other day, and, you know... I was so jealous because we were FaceTiming and her kids were up, you know, running and doing whatever it is they do out, which would be our summer. And, but we can't do that. We can't say the kids go out and play, you know, ride your bike, but make an effort, do whatever it is you can to get them exposed to sunlight, to daylight, get them dressed up warmly and take them outside. This being the holiday season, and I know that this will not probably go on air until after Christmas, but I th- unfortunately, I think the, the rest of this winter, we are going to be stuck inside. So if it's before the holidays, you know, get them involved in some little holiday-based activity, you know, um, decorate their room, decorate your house, whatever you can do. And as we go through the rest of the winter months, you know, again, try to mark the passage of time for them because you are their clock, right? So like I said, I, I'm, I keep thinking about this movie, Groundhog Day. I don't, I, for most of our younger viewers, they probably don't even know what I'm talking about, right, Leah? But you know, right? It's this guy who relives the same day over and over again. And for kids, it's exactly like that. So be their timekeeper, you know, be their seasons keeper, and keep them engaged in the ebb and flow of life and seasons. I love that. Just, you know, that mark the time, you know, this is because I think, especially, you know, with Christmas, a couple, my husband goes nuts with lights and he didn't care that we might just be the two of us this Christmas because Mm -hmm. my, my daughter lives in Denver and she's not coming home. And my other daughter lives out of town and, you know, we're just not feeling like it's safe and we're trying to, we're it trying isn't. to follow the CDC guidelines, right? Mm-hmm. So, but, you know, we, we went and got our tree. I decorated the tree. We're putting on Christmas music, you know, and, and one of our neighbors was like, oh, we, we're just looking at your lights, but you know what? They went out and got a tree. There we go. <laughs> so, um, you know, that marking the time. Elementary school, I'm guessing a lot of this is going to go, you know, sleep, wake, uh, meals, um, anything in particular with that middle school age kid or elementary school kids? Sure. So you've, you've said it already, you know, routines and marking the time. Um, this is the age, though, where verbal reassurance can go a long way. And you may have to actually ask some questions so that they can verbalize what they're worried about. Are they worried about something? They may not know that they are, but they are because developmentally, this is the age when anxieties and worries and sort of more concrete things begin to get into your head and, you know, watching the news, listening to people worry. I had a a 10-year-old the other day who had a meltdown while they were in the appointment with me. I I was seeing them in the office and this 10-year-old was just beside herself because she came in and saw not in the clinic, but on their way, a bunch of people not wearing masks. And she was just, she was, she was sure that this, she was going to die, that her mom was going to die. And that when they go home, they're going to give it to their, you know, elderly grandmother who lives with them. So reassure them, reassure them, give, this is the age where really 
because they are doing a lot of these kids are doing their school work online, have them research um, public health measures, right? Things that they can do, things that they can find out about the virus, about how things are spread, you know, the little bits of these more reality-based information, pieces of information can go a long way, believe it or not, in this age group. I, I like that. Again, it sort of builds that mastery that, yes. you know, that this isn't just an impossible situation. And I think now with vaccine and, and this is an opportunity for us to really talk about science and yeah. what we can do, what we do have control over, and that it's not just chaos and crisis and there's no hope. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. I love that. How about our teens? Um, other than sleep, 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 right? Sleep and exercise. If you can kick them outdoors, please do it. Well, and again, see with these, with, with this age group, you kick them outdoors and then you worry where they're going to go. Right. 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 But as much as possible, routine, sleep, exercise. This is the age group though, that actually, again, the thing, the bane of our existence, social media, networking, virtual lives, if you can guide them into using this virtual life that they have developed to reach out to community, mm. giving them a sense of purpose. I was talking to a couple of my teenage um, nieces, actually, and I said, yeah, your mom and dad yell at you because you're forever on, their, on the screen or talking to people. I said, well, how about we set you guys up with some nursing homes and see if you can just talk to them. You know, you want to play Christmas music, play some songs that they like, you know, anything like that, that brings, this is the age group where, as you know, it's all about me. It's very egocentric, right? It's narcissistic, developmentally, uh, this is all about. They all have borderline personality disorder, right? Don't they? They do at this time. Yeah. So what can you do? You say, okay, yes, you are super important. Yes, life is all about you and you are a victim of it. We get that. Here are some other people who are also suffering. How about you reach out to them? And sometimes saying it more than once is what it's going to take. Other times doing something, linking them up is what you're going to need to do. And because giving them this sense of purpose and this sense of connection that is beyond you know, I am the victim, I am alone, I am left behind. That can go so far in because these are kids, you know, they could be 16, 17, ready to leave home. Maybe this was the year they were supposed to leave home and they couldn't, right? right. Yeah. So anything we can do to sort of foster that service beyond self, sort of that connection to the bigger world with a purpose it can be good. And th- they are old enough where they can actually do some good. I love how you articulate this. Every every age group, I'm like, yeah, that's right. That's right. That self-efficacy. And a couple of podcasts back, I did an interview with Dr. Um, Robert Saul, and he's done a lot of work on sort of brain development, thinking developmentally is a book he wrote. And he said these really important things um, that the goal in life is not to be happy, but to serve. And by serving others, we are happy. You know, so the happiness isn't the goal. The goal is what's my purpose? What's that community? And, you know, you see on the news, there was a little girl that was on whose father died in Afghanistan. And this eight-year-old kid started a toy drive. And it was just on the Today Show or something. And they aired that. And she 
are kind of, there was $43,000 that came into her project. She has a foundation to distribute these toys and she's 10 now. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, it's the kind of thing that brings tears to your eyes, but there's so many things that you can do. And it doesn't have to be big like that. I mean, it can be, you know, handing out socks and gloves to, uh, you know, a homeless person, you know, Mm -hmm. something that doing something for your neighbor. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I baked some bread and took it around to my neighbors and some of them I don't know that well. And I think they were a little suspicious because I showed up with my mask on and it was kind of dark. Hey, I can use that bread anytime. <laughs> so that was that was kind of fun. Um, so those are such nice concrete things. And at the beginning of the pandemic, Bessel van der Kolk, who wrote the book, The Body Keeps the Score, about trauma, did a whole thing. Um, it was like a short YouTube, and it was 20 minutes about how to survive the stress of COVID as a, a traumatic experience. And he outlined seven things. And I oftentimes will go through this list with kids and pick out two or three that we're going to, you know, write a prescription for. So the first sleep, meals, and uh, routine around meals, movement, family time, although I think we're all a little sick of each other, but doing <laughs> meaningful family time, whether, yes. you know, because I have some families, they're eating meals, but they're all in different places. You know, they've lost mm-hmm. that dinner time, or some of them didn't have it before. Family, social, so friends, creativity. So, you know, we're talking about doing projects, so yeah, arts and crafts, coloring, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. And then spiritual, spirituality, mm-hmm. which can look like whatever that is for you, that gratitude, something beyond me. Um, whether it's prayer or meditation, you know, that we can help. And and I think those are all good words for any age. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I can't say this enough that, that a lot, it doesn't matter what age children you have at home. It starts with the parents. So, you know, self-care. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as we are heading almost into the 12 month mark with with this new life that we have this post covid era i am seeing more distress more that you know sense of bleak hopelessness um descend for for a lot of us that didn't have it before the first few months we thought okay we'll get past this and then the summer was here which wasn't that bad so be you know, my really, if there's one thing from this podcast that people can take away, it's that the parents are in charge in many ways. And now more than ever, their self-regulation is how the kids are going to regulate. I, I think that kind of look beyond ourselves, um, find wonder. I've had mm-hmm. some families where I've said, I, I know it's cold outside, but can you go out for, you know, two minutes and look up at the sky, look up at the trees, mm-hmm. whether they have leaves on them or not, you know, feel the wind, um, you know, look at what the colors are now just for a few minutes. And, Absolutely. you know, that, that restoration in nature, you know, maybe you're brave enough, you put on your snow boots when you have to and bundle up and, you know, just get out there. I've been trying to walk more regularly. And some days yeah. I'm like, eh, just, I'm going to stay inside. But boy, the minute I do, I feel so much better. Yes. So yes. I, I like that. And then, you know, so, and that gratitude, what, what can we be thankful? I mean, I'm grateful. I have a roof over my head. Mm-hmm. So many families are struggling financially, may have lost their jobs. And I, you know, I really feel for people that have children at home that are in school and trying to figure that out from week to week, what's that going to look like? But 
yeah, I think if, if parents can hold it together, it's much like us too. You know, when you're running a code, if you are losing it, the code's not going to go well. Yep. But if yep. you're like, I got this and I'm going to follow the, the routine of, of a resuscitation, what's the routine of life? Uh, and if I can maintain that, maybe, maybe I'll be okay. So yeah. I, you know, I say, I think not only parents, but, you know, as physicians, nurse practitioners, PAs, whomever is listening is that, and, and especially the strain of our frontline folks, mm-hmm. you know, where do you find that little minute to take a breath? What's that look like? And, and we can't, you know, take care of other people unless we've taken care of ourselves. Right, right. I just wanted to, a couple things more on, is there any increase suicide risk that during this time that, you know, parents should be kind of have that in the back of their head? Like, I just need to be aware of that. Well, yes and no. So yes, because if you have a depressed individual or with the right combination or the wrong combination of impulsivity, access to means, right? And that momentary sense of all is over. Yeah, that risk remains, right? What I'm finding is, and I have been talking to my other colleagues, you know, in psychiatry, we are the first six, eight months of the pandemic, our existing patients, the, the, the ones that you know have depression or anxiety and, and the ones that are in treatment actually did rather well because they were home. Parents were home. My high-functioning autistic patients did really well because, you know, the expectations were not, you know, to, to be like everyone else were much. We started to see new people pop up in treatment, in hospital, you know, for hospital admissions, for suicide attempts that had never been diagnosed with depression before. And that almost makes it harder than for the family members, for parents or, um, you know, physicians and, and um, healthcare providers, because the ones that you worry more about right now almost are the ones that you don't know are diagnosed. Right, right. The ones that are, are almost in some ways, a little bit better place because people know. Right. I'm thinking um, a little bit that parents and clinicians, I think we have to be prepared to ask the question and know that asking doesn't make someone suicidal um, any more than prescribing birth control or asking about sex doesn't make somebody have sex. Yeah. Um, So I think there's that conversation about, you know, sometimes when people are feeling hopeless or life has changed so much. Sometimes they have thoughts about killing themselves. Are you having any thoughts like that? And that's something, you know, parents, you know, might want to ask their significant others too, because, you know, adults are suffering from, uh, from this as well. We're impacted too. Um, I do think there's a couple of, you mentioned it about access to lethal means. If you have kids that you're worried about, this might be a time to if you're able to secure, especially firearms, someplace, you know, can you get them out of the house? Um, are they really secured? I think a lot of parents feel like it's locked up. There's no way. And, and kids are smart. And one of the things I would recommend for anybody listening is the CALM course, the Counseling Access to Lethal Means that um, put on by the Suicide Prevention Resource Center, SPRC. And you can find it if you just Google CALM Suicide Prevention, it'll pop up about how to talk to parents about this. But I think one of the facts that was really startling is that kids who die by use of a firearm, 80% of those firearms are owned by their parents. 
So Mm -hmm. that's where the guns are. And I think it's important to be aware of that if you need to secure medication just for a while, just for just for the time being. So that is something concrete that you can do to make sure that your environment's safe. I do think I'm wondering if substance use is a little bit decreased because the kids are home and may not have access to it as much. So that may be a, a benefit. And certainly I, some of my anxious kids are thrilled <laughs> if they have school avoidance. They don't have to go to school. Yep. So, right. right. Well, you've just given us a lot of information and ending on a note of suicide is kind of sad. So I think hopefully we can end on a note that, you know, hopefully the the end is is near and that, you know, something positive is on its way, but we've got some more dark days ahead and that these are things, the advice that you gave, and I'll sum it up at the end, you know, is routines, 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 and that parents have to model this for our kids. We can't expect our kids to, you know, get up at a normal time if we're asleep until three. Pretty much. Yeah. Any other um, parting words that you have as your, you know, any words of hope for our care providers? Lots of them. Look, the there is a silver lining that is right, right, right there. We we can see it. We have a vaccine. Um, it will be a while, but the, there are some things that we can do, and those things are, you know, get educated, get informed about what the vaccine is like. Leah, you and I both have lots of friends that are in healthcare, uh, all different areas of healthcare. And I don't know about your experience, but mine is frighteningly that more than half of them don't want to get the vaccine. There is such misinformation out there. Right. And so for us as clinicians, you know, become that is efficacy, you know, find out more, learn more, talk to each other, um, and then educate people that you see. You know, I tell myself the last few days, you know, if I can talk to one person and reassure them and provide fact-based information about vaccines, that's job well done. Right, right. There's hope in science for sure. And I think um, physicians, even though sometimes we feel like less and less that people believe in us or our advice, the reality is that we still hold very important positions and power with our kids and our families. And, and, and I think looking for that hope, I'm one of the things that is definitely a silver lining is this Zoom. Yes. I've been involved in some trainings with the Michigan uh, AAP chapter, and we've trained people in the Upper Peninsula all over the state. And in the past, we were doing those in person. There's no way that we would have been able to reach those folks. So they're able to, you know, be a part of things. So we are able to reach people, even though, you know, I'd love to give somebody a hug, give them a, you know, chocolate, you know, that's my thing, but that'll come, that'll come, but it will come. And that doing for others, looking for those, you know, small acts of kindness, you know, what can you do to pass it on? I think makes us all feel good, particularly during the holiday season, you know, about what, what can I do to make somebody's life better? Is there a small, is there a small thing? Absolutely. Yeah. A phone call, you know, an email, a text. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, thank you so much. And I hope that your holidays, whatever they look like, are are happy and that you find some joy. I know you will because you are a joyous person, <laughs> a joyful. And I, I mean, you just you, you just have that quality about care and, and love for others. And it's very evident. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll say the same to you, Leah. Thanks. Be well. Thank have you. a joyous and happy, healthy holiday season. 
Thank you so much. Oh my goodness, Zakia, that was amazing. I have been able to do what you're talking about, but I didn't know I was doing it. And I certainly didn't have the language to describe so eloquently what kids need at different ages. I mean, it was just really a great way to look at this whole situation with COVID. So challenging. So the big takeaways, how does COVID affect children of different ages? What kinds of things do we need to look for to kind of let us know that something's going on with kids? And what do we do about it? So for our youngest kids, those ones under five, the word is safety. So these kids often will thrive with parents being home so much. They're all about that home safe environment. And as long as the home is safe, they may do quite well. The biggest issue is how are the parents doing because the parents are providing all that oversight and attachment. So if they're struggling, that may be problematic. Symptoms in those kids may be regression. They may resort to tantrums. They may have backtracking and things like toileting. They may be more sleepy and just have more of those meltdowns. Sleep can be a big issue in really any of the age groups, so it's something we need to pay attention to. In this age group, the recommendations, routine, 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 sleep time, wake-up time, meal time, naps, movement, you know, get outside when you can. And I love this one recommendation, mark the passage of time. That is just so great that all these events that are going on, we still need to acknowledge that these are events that are important. So I love that. And then again, it's really important that parents take good care of themselves because kids do what they see their parents doing. So we need to be good models of the kinds of behaviors we want our children to have. So the next group, those middle schoolers, Dr. Alavi really felt that this is the group that often is the most affected by what's been going on. And because so much of the developmental needs of this group is to branch out from the subculture of home is how she described it. And these kids become anxious and irritable. They don't regulate well when they're not doing well. And the recommendations for them, verbal reassurance, letting them know that their fears, while you know, their experience is real that there are reassurances that things can be okay and we have to model that we're not freaked out. Asking direct questions about, are you worried? And then helping kids research the facts, really looking to, for example, science and vaccines, that there is hope and help. I thought that was a brilliant suggestion. And then our teenagers. One of the things that's been interesting, of course, is how social media has actually been very helpful, not only teenagers, for all of us, and that social media may actually be a saving grace for teenagers, allowing them to connect as their peers. Oftentimes in the past, it was used as a distraction. Now it's their life. Their identity is with their peer group, and it's really helpful for them to have those connections Things that can be helpful for them are helping them to see beyond themselves that what's happening isn't just about them. And if there's any way that they can build community and have a purpose bigger than themselves, 
that they can help in some way, shape, or form is often really helpful for them. I liken back to Dr. Robert Saul's episode when he talked about our goal in life is not to be happy, but to be good citizens. And by virtue of that, we will find happiness. So really seeking this higher purpose, finding hope, and again, sleep. So for parents, you know, we have to take care of ourselves and as caregivers, you know, if we're burnt out, we're not going to be able to attend to the needs of our children and our patients and families. Sometimes we have to look beyond where we are right now, find gratitude where we can, and look for wonder. I really like a YouTube uh, post that Bessel van der Kolk did back in early March, and he talked about seven things that we need to do to establish routines, not only for ourselves, but for our kids. We need to sleep regularly. We need to have regular meals. We need to move our bodies. We need to have meaningful family time, and that can't be just, you know, all the family being in the home but not connecting. Social connection with our friends beyond the walls of our home creativity, and finally, spirituality in whatever way, shape, or form that that looks like for you or your family. And I think those are all really helpful and kind of concrete things that you can do. So I hope that you can have some nice takeaways from this and can, you know, offer parents some pearls of wisdom about, you know, that there are some things that you can do despite COVID and, you know, the dark days of winter that are coming and did touch a bit on suicide risks during COVID. And, you know, there is the, certainly kids that are already suffering from depression and perhaps having some worsening symptoms over time. And then kids who have not had depression but are developing some signs and symptoms. I think we just have to, you know, ask kids when they're not doing well, are you okay? Have you ever had any thoughts of hurting yourself or killing yourself and not being afraid to use that language, although it's pretty uncomfortable to do that without some practice, but that there's a lot of hope. We do need to be aware of access to lethal means. So if there's firearms in the home, you know, what do we need to do to secure them and and guarantee some safety? So with lots of hope here for the vaccine um, coming from Kalamazoo, Michigan, home of Pfizer, I am so grateful for the scientists who have developed it and all the workers who have created it and those who are driving it around and flying it around the country. May we have um, a glimmer of hope now and a future that is free from so much fear and isolation. So my friends, thank you so much for listening. As always, I know you're super busy people. Please share this with others. And as always, um, hope to have you come back soon. Take care and be safe. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Pediatric Meltdown. I know how busy you are and I so appreciate your time. If this has been helpful, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. I would love to hear from you and welcome all feedback, ideas, and suggestions for future episodes. In the words of Maya Angelou, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. Let's do better together.